today on Ag News Daily. Well, we've had big, big selling. If you think of where wheat was, wheat was more than double this price a year ago. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a Monday, May 8th edition here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell flying solo for you all today as Tanner is off taking care of some banking business. But I tell you what, listeners, I don't know where some of you guys are located. I know we've got quite a few listeners in the Midwest, but here in central Iowa over the weekend, we had humongous hailstorm that swept through Sunday afternoon and caused a lot of damage to a lot of different farms, houses, buildings, etc. Thankfully, our house went fairly unscathed from the baseball-sized hail, but others were not so lucky. Throughout the weekend here, we saw quite a few storms sweep through the Midwest, and in the last 72 hours, saw a lot of precipitation as well. Many of the storms producing heavy rains with anywhere from three to six inch large hail pieces. We kept a piece of ours and fits in the palm of my hand, uh, but we put it in the freezer to save it for later. Uh, But I was just starting to scroll through Twitter yesterday and see all of the people that were also reporting there, some of the hailstorm and damage that they had had. And again, we consider ourselves very lucky. We did uh, lose a little bit of power for a few hours, so that was not ideal, but certainly thankful that we don't have crops up yet to have any sort of real crop damage, but certainly a lot of other damage across the Midwest as well. As we look forward here for the week and what to watch weather-wise, we're still seeing some severe drought risks and fire risks in the lower part of Alberta, Canada, uh, slipping down into the northern plains and Midwest after several intense fires broke out across the province this weekend. As far as other storms systems in the uh, in the midst here, we're seeing Gulf Coast moisture could transport some additional thunderstorms across the Plains and Midwest and Mid-South here later this week. Hopefully nothing as bad as we saw over the weekend, but that is uh, the season the season that we are certainly now in. But curious if any of our listeners had any of those golf ball sized or larger hail over the weekend. If so, shoot us a note. Love to see it. Hopefully not a lot of damage, but it is that time of year. And we will see just how those rains and other storms impacted planting progress here later this afternoon as the planting progress report comes out but recording the podcast just ahead of that time. So we'll be sure to share those results tomorrow on the podcast. Russia started off the week on a large wave of drone attacks, their largest wave, in fact, on Ukraine that we've seen in several months, which comes at the eve of their coveted victory Victory Day holiday tomorrow, which is apparently a big scale holiday there for Ukrainian citizens celebrating, um, I think, actually their escape from being part of the Soviet Union and uh, and the Kremlin. But through some of those celebrations, we started to see massive drone strikes happen over the weekend and a lot of questions still coming out about what we're going to see as far as a grain initiative corridor deal moving forward. 
In a move to emphasize the goal of realigning with the West, Ukraine will welcome the president of the European Commission tomorrow to mark the day, Victory Day holiday occasion, and she's expected to share some remarks on what we can expect to see here moving forward. But Russian forces are reportedly attempting a final push to capture the eastern city of Bakhmut in order to have something to show for the holiday that Ukraine is celebrating. But as far as uh, the Black Sea ports go, Russian strikes continue to target those areas as well as Odessa and others that would be key in keeping the grain deal alive as well as getting grain out of the country. So certainly not positive news there by any means. And hopefully we'll see some sort of optimism shared during that European commissioner's speech tomorrow. U.S. and Chinese diplomats met in Beijing today as well to discuss the recent changes that we've seen on both sides and as they continue to work on stabilizing the relationship, continuing to see a lot of fallout after the U.S.'s very vocal support of Taiwan and their ability to stay separate from mainland China. But as we look at those relationships here and those getting mended between the two countries, the U.S. ambassador to China met with China's foreign minister and said that their top priority was to stabilize the U.S. and China relationships in order to prevent any accidents between the U.S. and China. These comments highlight a noteworthy point when it comes to the impact of the tensions that we've seen between the two countries and also shows a little flex on both sides that perhaps there's more to the story than what we're being told. Um, But we have seen, for example, military presence increased in the South China Sea from both sides following some of the China-Taiwan-US tensions. But we're going to see if they're able to stabilize and potentially de-escalate that situation. They said that's really what they're focused on with these meetings ahead of them. But this next headline certainly doesn't bode well for U.S.-Chinese relationships as China received their first cargo of corn from South America last week, signaling that China was going to be continuing to look to our South American competitors as they increase and restock some of those products that we have seen them digging into here over the last couple of years. This really has been a reoccurring theme with China as they've seemed to make a really strategic decision about who they are going to be buying their ag products here moving forward. But state-owned grain trader Kafko bought the first shipment, about 2.1 million bushels from South American corn exporters with the intent to turn that corn into domestic feed for China. So not sure that they will get specifically into the ag discussion as they meet today in Beijing, but certainly could be a point that is released after we see some news coming out of those meetings. Here's a fun piece of news for our listeners on this Monday afternoon. The record for most lifetime milk produced by a single registered Holstein cow has been broken once again in 2023, this time by Norbert Colby Connie, a 14-year-old Holstein owned by the Norbert Farm in Bremen, Indiana. Colby Connie 
the cow's name, has achieved this incredible feat with her lifetime milk production record of 486,300 pounds of milk produced during her 14-year span. Through her latest completed lactation, she surpassed the previous record holder, which had previously produced 478,200 pounds of milk in one lifetime. So these are some impressive numbers coming out from this dairy cattle. But here's a fun little statistic of what those numbers mean in its equivalency. So 486,000 pounds of milk is total in her lifetime to about 56,547 gallons of milk, 904,744 cups of milk, about 22,939 pounds of butter, 603,168 scoops of ice cream, 48,630 pounds of cheese, and lastly, enough cheese for about 129,680 12-inch pizzas. So thanks to Connie for supplying us with some good dairy products. Who knows? Maybe you have had one of her milk products here over the last 14 years and you didn't even know it. And lastly, up here on the docket is, of course, markets. I think today was a little bit of a slower news day as we get back into the swing of things here after the weekend, but markets certainly were not slow as they traded the news of fresh rainfall. And other headlines, which we'll get to here with Tommy Grizzafi coming up in just a moment. In the interim, though, July corn today closed unchanged on the day at 5.96 and a half. New crop corn shed five pennies today to close at 5.29 and three quarters. July soybeans today lost two and three quarters cents at 14.33 and three quarters. No new crop beans lost seven and a half cents today to close at 12.72 and a half. July hard red winter wheat today added 11 and a quarter cent at 8.44 and a quarter. As we take a look at the livestock markets today, cattle continued to push upward as the June live cattle contract added 50 cents to close at a buck 62.42 and a half. August feeders added a dollar 67 and a half to close at 2.23.10. And July lean hawks shed 15 cents today to close at 85.27 and a half. Without further ado, let's kick it over to my conversation with Tommy Grizzafi. Well, folks, we are chatting today with Tommy Grizzafi of Advanced Trading Inc. Tommy, super excited to chat with you today. These crazy storms we had over the weekend, do you think that's going to do anything here to excite the markets? Well, we did have moisture. And I tell you, Delaney, I spent uh, most of last week visiting clients in the great state of Iowa. I even had a chance to uh, stop in Pella, Iowa and go to Tulip Festival. So I got the whole experience, but it was hot and dry last week and the storms came, but they bring nasty stuff with them. They bring hail, they bring too much water, they bring wind. The crops are still little. Uh, Many of them are under the ground. I don't think the uh, hail will do significant damage. Of course, if you're the one who received the hail, you uh, you may think different. The moisture was needed. That's uh, phase one of maybe we need four great rains to grow this crop this year. And that was phase one of the big moisture move. It is uh, beginning weeks of May, and that's going to help out a lot. Now, some of the folks up north, as you know, received a bunch of rain, and that's going to knock them out. 
as we have uh, how much crop the government's going to tell us how much crop's been planted already, crop progress here in a little bit. And that's going to knock the good folks up north out for a little bit. That'll be interesting to see with that rain up nor- north and more rain scheduled to come in. It will start talking PP by mm-hmm. the end of the week with every storm. Yeah. And so I know we're a little bit early because like you said, we're going to start talking prevent plant probably towards the end of this week, but you do have quite a few growers up in the Dakotas as well. So what do you think we're going to see for prevent plant acres? Well, they want to get that corn in. They want to get that corn in. They want to get the beans in. And if we do go PP corn, I don't know that there'll be a PP acre as much as there could just be a switch to beans. So an incredible amount of beans can get planted in North Dakota in the month of June. And oftentimes those end up okay. Obviously, early frost would be a problem, but that's something we wouldn't know for the next 60 or 90 days. So if the corn's not all going in timely, look for a switch to beans and see from there. Now, if they don't get the beans in, you're talking, we won't know that for five to six weeks. So an incredible amount of weather could happen between now and then. They do have big equipment. They are motivated by price. And uh, I think they'd like to get the crop in. I mean, we have a WASD report coming out later this week, which will be the first look at the 2023 crop. I think we'll see any big surprises. Yeah, we, we can see some surprises. We may, uh, they like to go big yields early, whether we'll have those big yields. We, we do have an incredible amount of the crop here planted already in, in, in the I states, uh, driving. I'm in Illinois, Central Illinois, in Bloomington, Illinois, at ATI's corporate office. Looks like a lot of crops are planted. The uh, never underestimate what the government could say when it comes to a economic or crop report. They they tend to surprise us. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the early and fast-paced planting that we've been having. Maybe not so much in the Dakotas, but Iowa, Illinois, the I states. This is the fastest I think we have ever gotten our crops in the ground at my husband's farm. When you look at historical data, what year would you say so far this is comparing to? Do we have a year like this where we've seen this really fast planting season? Um, you know, we we do watch planting pace. And the one I've been watching, so I'm, I'm, I don't know the answer to corn. I do know we're significantly behind on spring wheat. That one's lagging. Now, the corn number, it, it, it's so far ahead that it's just, I don't even look at it because we could just feel it. If you drive out in the country, you could see that crop planted. Now you see moisture hit that crop. It's not something I'm looking at. It tends to be something you look at more when you're bullish. Now, you flip that around and say, well, if the crop's planted on time and it just had a significant rain, wouldn't that be bearish? And I would say, Delaney, that's why December corn was down today. These 23 corn was down. These 24 corn was down significantly, yet July corn managed to close up just a sliver. So big, big spread action, old crop versus new. If we're trying to grow a big crop in 2023, we have a lot better chance of doing it after this weekend's rains and that the crop is in early, but not in all parts, but in the big corn producing areas, the crop is in early. Yeah, and I know you've been sharing this message for a while that the train has left the station and we are likely kind of done this year, maybe with seeing these really elevated commodity prices. We're starting to see that come back down as we look at new crop corn just at 530 as of today's close, Tommy. What's the new range here as we head into the summer season when we typically see our summer rally for the season? Where, where do you think this thing can go? Wow, that's a great question. We have uh, 
potential to go up in the sense that the funds are so short, the funds have been selling commodities, futures, and adding to it. If we did have a bullish catalyst, whether it becomes hot or dry or a surprise demand, China says they were just kidding about cancellations. They want it all. Uh, with demand and and bad weather, the funds are short. So if this crop isn't trend line yield big and the funds cover, we could explode above $6 in these. But I would imagine, Delaney, we have a group of people who are going to make some uh, sales if futures get back to five fifty, five seventy five, six dollars. Everyone's running around, whoever this everyone is, but a lot of brokers, analysts are saying that the, the, the board of trade, these corn market almost always goes back to the crop insurance level. They're saying it arrogantly and almost with the cavalier attitude as if it has to go there. And it doesn't. That level is five ninety one. It does not have to go there. And if we if we continue to get rains at the right time and demands down, we could very easily, I, I could imagine, I could see a story where uh, a lot of bushels that don't have a home would be sold with a, a 450 in front of it. 450 cash corn could be very likely with demand struggling and a big crop into 2023. That is possibility. So put the range at 450 to 650. That's wide. We're at 530 right now. I will say this, if the market breaks down in those lows, you should see incredible demand come across uh, from the world as people try to buy corn on sale. And again, the funds are short and markets are wild. We're still, Ukraine's involved. Uh, Russia's still in Ukraine. We've seen what wheat did the last week, had no problem popping 60, 70 cents in KC. There's no reason we couldn't see an explosive move in corn, but don't bet on it, Delaney. Same, I'm guessing, could be said for the soybean markets as well. Tommy, don't bet on a big explosive move. Yeah, we can talk about the soybean oil demand and all these things, but a lot of the wealth was created from the uh, production problems across the world. The whole world starting to produce a lot more crops, and we have to have the demand. We could be a little tight on grain, and if the whole world doesn't want to come in and buy our grain, we can continue to go down. You add that the funds want to sell it. I've seen a lot more negative days recently of the uh, soybean market than positive days We'll see. It's it's a long, I'd say after this weekend, we're in inning three. I was saying a few weeks ago, we're only inning two. We're in inning three. We're getting uh, closer to starting to think we're actually getting a crop planted. It has moisture and we're going to grow a crop in 2023. Tommy, you mentioned there the explosive moves that we have been seeing in the wheat complex, all just fueled by the grain initiative and maybe a lack of a new deal. Well, we've had big, big selling. If you think of where wheat was, wheat was more than double this price a year ago. And a lot of ground around the world has been put into something. I think we're looking that the uh, wheat markets went through its Costco toilet paper moment (laughs) where a year ago, everybody and anybody was stocking up on a load of wheat, uh, ordering a barge, trying to get wheat, hoarding wheat. And we went from hoarding to where now these countries are like, okay. Russia's still in Ukraine. There's plenty of wheat in the world. What the heck were we thinking? And no one's going to the store to buy any more toilet paper. And in that example, it would be wheat. No one's going to the store to buy any more wheat because they bought so much last year and they're starting to produce it on its own. Also, Delaney, when wheat goes from $6.50 to $14, that curbs demand. High prices cure high prices. Nobody wants to hear that. But uh, the, uh, the math of it, the math never lies. The math never lies. A $14 wheat 
sent out a signal to the world that being a wheat farmer is easy. Now we have a six in front of us at Board of Trade Wheat, and we almost had a five for a little bit. And that should have scared the heck out of people. Tommy, what about the cattle markets? They are scary how much they just keep moving moving higher here. Yeah, that's a numbers game. Watch the cash market. The The cattle market could have bad days. We could have a bank go bust and you find that there's some counterparty risk or something, but dips are being bought. The cash market's leading this thing up. There's a, The cycle to produce cattle is really start to finish a three-year cycle, whereas you look at the hog market, absolutely decimated last week. Hogs had a horrible week. I don't think they closed up today. Some real pain in hogland and most cattle people we work with say things are really going well, but they look down the road years to come, high prices uh, will uh, fix themselves. And we can get to a price high enough where demand just starts to switch. Matter of fact, I did look up that spread, that hog cattle spread, when you look up at a pound of pork versus a pound of beef is I believe at all time highs as of last Friday. If it's not at all time highs, it's real close it usually doesn't stay there long. So it kind of, from a spread perspective, if you're a speculator, not an actual cattle producer or hog producer, but someone speculating, you'd want to go in the grocery store and buy pork and you'd want to sell beef because pork is just on sale, especially uh, those prices are now starting to hit the sale items at the store. And Tommy, when you look at the lean hog market here, like you said, they've been struggling here really to find their footing. And typically we see a seasonal rally, but we haven't seen that happen yet. Do you think we're going to follow that trend this year? Well, that's a great question. As a speculator, I would not want to go to bed short hogs at this level. But if you are out there and you're actually raising hogs and you're not hedged, you have a real problem. They don't uh, store well, and we may have uh, overexpanded we're just becoming so efficient at producing pork. We need to have that demand also. So if the demand's down and the pork's being produced, it could be ugly for a few more months. Yes, we do tend to have seasonals. That's a great point. But I'm not so sure these markets in this day and age, anything is possible. Hogs can be up $10 or down another $10 from this level. I will say if they continue to go down, you will see more bankruptcies and more pain in the uh, pork sector. Tommy, any other big headlines you're going to be watching this week moving forward? I got a kind of an eye on crude oil. We had that flash crash last week, and we are just stacking the price on crude oil. Big move Friday, big move this week. Keep an eye on weather. We can uh, just don't let your guard down, folks. That's all. That's all I'm talking to clients about is folks who can't store bushels. Harvest is only 120 days away. So we're already talking to clients about harvest. And some folks don't even have their crop planted, but we still have to have the conversation. Fantastic. Tommy, before we let you go, if any of our listeners want to pick your brain or follow along with you, what's the best place to find you? Yeah, they can find me at Advanced Trading's website and go to Advanced Trading's website. Click on my link under brokers. Then call us 1-800-664-4383. And if they're bored, they could listen to the podcast, the Ag Bowl podcast. That's just something I do for fun where I interview interesting people like you. Fantastic, Tommy. Well, thank you so much for joining us again today. We appreciate your insight as always. Thank you, Delaney. Well, again, a big thank you there to Tommy. 
for coming on and chatting markets with us. We'll have the WASD report coming out later this week. I believe it drops Friday morning at 11 a.m. Central Time. So we'll be sure to share with our listeners a little bit about what that report entailed later this week. But in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at Ag News Daily if you're missing us. Otherwise, we'll be back tomorrow morning with another great episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. 